We have spent the last four weeks, if you've been around River Life, um, we've spent the last four weeks talking about what happened on the cross. But today is Easter. Good Friday is about what happened on the cross. Easter is about what happens next. So today we're talking about what happened at the grave. What happened at the grave? Now, I have a confession to make. I don't like thinking about death. I don't know how comfortable you are with it, but for me, I'm still kind of uncomfortable with it. Um, and I think there are, there are a couple reasons for that. I think one is I'm a very here and now guy. I kind of operate in the present. Now, my wife, Pafoa, on the other hand, she operates like five years from now. I operate in the like right now. For me, future planning is figuring out next week. It's a stretch if I can get even a year out let alone like 10, 20 years ahead. So if you're, if you're a future dreamer, I applaud you because I am not, okay? I, I am very grounded in the here and now, in, in the reality of what go, we go through each day. So a great example of this is my, my wife, while we're sitting in bed falling asleep, my, lo- my wife loves to turn to me and asks me, asks me deep questions. And so she'll often turn to me and say, you know, Greg, have you ever wondered? And usually these things happen like at 2 a.m. And I can guarantee you, at 2 a.m., any question that begins with, Greg, have you ever wondered? The answer is no. <laughs> I'm only wondering one thing. How quickly could I fall asleep? Because <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of locked into the here and now. So that's one reason. Then the second reason is... Death is still kind of an uncomfortable topic for me. Despite the number of funerals I've been to, even the number of funerals I have done, death is still a little uncomfortable for me. And so, I mean, you, you know, you've always been, you've been there, like, you don't know what to say, you want to be there, and, and you want to do more than just the platitude of, oh, I'm sorry for your loss, but then what more do you say? And, and so I always kind of fumble myself around funerals. Um, and at least, like, with, with a white people funeral, you only got an hour or two there. Go to a Hmong funeral, and I have to fumble around for three days. Good grief. Like, I cannot escape this. So it's still, it's still an uncomfortable topic for me. Um, and, but that poses a challenge for Easter. Because Easter is about death. It's about life after death. We can't help but wonder what happens after death. What happens to us? What happened to Jesus? And so I'm curious, what about you? So I don't think much about life after death, okay? What about you? Is it something you like to ponder on? Um, as my wife turned to me yesterday as I was kind of finishing this up, she said, she said, you know, Greg, I don't think I've ever asked you this. Do you pine for heaven? And I immediately turned to her and said, what's pine? <laughs> I pine for Chipotle. I pine for a good bacon cheeseburger. <laughs> I pine for warm weather, but uh, no, I, so I told her, I said, you know what, like every once in a while I do, but it is not part of my regular routine is pining for heaven. But maybe that is, what, what about you? Do you think about heaven? Do you think about 
what life is like after we die? Do you wonder what it's about? Do you think about heaven? Do you think about hell? Do you think about things like reincarnation? Or whether we all just disappear like blowing out a candle? We all just cease to exist. Or do you ever ponder the Hmong view that a spirit is released and it has to trace its roots back to its birthplace? And then it can transition into the, the, the realm of the ancestors. Do you, do you ponder that sort of stuff? I don't know, maybe you do. When you're at a funeral, what do you think about? What do you think about? Well, Easter is a time to think about life after death. Because that's part of what the key of the Easter story is, is Jesus' life after death, Jesus' resurrection. Now, for today, um, we're, we're going to turn, I want to turn to one of the greatest passages outside the gospel stories, one of the best passages about resurrection. And it's from the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians. And it's at the end of the book, it's the second to last chapter in chapter 15, and this is such a big deal for Paul. He spends 58 verses. It's one of the longest chapters you'll find in the New Testament. 58 verses talking about resurrection. We're going to start with verse 1. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> no, we're just going to take a little section of this. Okay. But, but it's amazing that all of this chapter, this whole chapter on resurrection, is centered around addressing one belief. There was one belief that the Corinthian church held that really troubled Paul, and it was that there was no resurrection of the dead. Now, you have to understand that back then, this idea that the dead would be resurrected was a very unusual concept, particularly in a place, the city called Corinth. That's what this letter was written to a city called Corinth. That's why it's called Corinthians. So Corinth was a city in Greece, and Greeks had their cosmology, if you, if you want to call it that, their cosmology was such that they believed in the duality of body and spirit. And when you died, the spirit, which was good, was released from the body, which was bad, and it stayed on earth and got buried and, and decomposed. But the spirit was released and would join the realm of the gods. So in many ways, it, the Greek cosmology actually shares a lot in common with Hmong cosmology, that sense that the spirit is released and then joins another area of, of other spirits. But they are spirits, not bodies. So this belief, this Greek belief, was starting to get into the church. And even though the, the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, clearly talks about the resurrection of the dead. Jews believed in the resurrection of the dead. And then Jewish Christians and new Christians, Jesus taught about the resurrection of the dead. Paul wrote about the resurrection of the dead. But there were folks starting to teach and starting to believe that there was no resurrection of the dead. So Paul said, okay, we got to talk about this. Like, there are mistakes and there are mistakes. This one's a mistake. I've got to talk about this. So 58 verses in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, he talks about this. And he starts off, so he starts off with the premise. He spends the first portion developing the historical truth that Jesus actually resurrected. 
There are all, for those who don't believe in the resurrection, there are all kinds of other explanations. Jesus only passed out. He passed out from the pain, and then he woke up a little while longer. When, when the women and the disciples, they went to the tomb, they went to the wrong tomb. That's one of the explanations. And Jesus actually was buried in another tomb. Another explanation that they'll use is that the body was stolen. That was actually the first explanation um, that's actually even mentioned in the Bible, that the body was stolen to make it look like Jesus rose from the dead. But the truth is, none of that was really true. And so Paul establishes for the first half of this chapter, first third of the chapter, that the resurrection actually happened that Jesus was actually killed. He did actually die. He didn't just pass out. He didn't just go into a coma. He actually died. He was actually buried. And then he rose from the dead and appeared to over 500 people. And there's an amazing line in here that says, some of whom are still alive. In other words, at the writing of this letter, some of the people in fact, a lot of the people who saw the resurrected Jesus were still alive. So you think if this letter was bogus, some folks would have stood up and said, no, 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 he, he is pulling the wool over our eyes. So that, that's the first thing. That's the first important thing that Paul does. His, he established this is the historical accuracy that Jesus did actually die and he did actually rise from the dead. Okay, so that's the first thing Paul does. Then he moves into this chapter or this section that we're going to look at today. Okay? And we're, I'm going to read through it all once, and then I'll explain through some of the parts. Okay? So, so if, you, if you have a Bible, if you have your app, you can pull it up on an app. You can flip open to your Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, or you could read up on the screen. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has, has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, when we, uh, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he, referring to God, he did not raise him, but, uh, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then, the, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So, did you catch some of his arguments in favor of Christ resurrecting? So, so Paul describes five consequences. Five consequences if Jesus were not raised. We might call this that he's, taking, he's playing devil's advocate and then arguing he is counter-refuting the devil's advocate position. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, okay, what would be the logical consequences of this? Well, let's hit a, a few of them. So again, there are five of them. He begins with the first two in verse 14. And if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless, 
and so is your faith. Well, that's putting it bluntly, okay? My job, a waste. What I do here on Sunday, useless. And if you're a Christian, if you identify as a follower of Christ, your faith is useless also. Everything that we do here is useless because we are following a liar. Jesus said that he would rise from the dead, that God would raise him up. And if he didn't, then he's a liar and we're following a liar. Those are the first two reasons, first two consequences if Jesus hadn't really died. My job, everything I do here, useless. If you're a Christian, your faith, useless. Okay, let's go to the next one. Next is, excuse me, next up is verse 15. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. Okay, so if it's not bad enough that my whole job and our whole life is useless, we're liars. I'm a liar. If you're a Christian, you're a liar. We're liars. Because I've stood up here and said Christ was raised from the dead. And if that's not true, that makes me a liar. And it makes the Bible a book of lies. Because you could go back into the Old Testament as far as the, the book of Daniel and see this idea of, of the resurrection of the dead. If that's not true, it makes us out to be liars. So if you say that, G that God raised Jesus from the dead and he did not, we are collectively liar, liar, pants on fire. Okay? So that's the third reason Paul gives. Fourth reason, fourth reason Paul gives is verse 17. Now he gets a lot more serious here. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Thanks for beating it in there. Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Right. Now that is a lot more serious. Okay, I can stand being, being useless and a liar and all that, but imagine if Christ had not been raised from the dead, we are still in our sins. Okay. Think about that. We would still be stuck in our sins. Your sin, my sin, would still define our lives, our identity, our eternity. In Christ, our failures are not final. But imagine if Christ had not raised from the dead, if he had not been raised from the dead. Our failures, our sins, that's what becomes us. It defines us. We can try our best. You can try to do it better next time. Be a better person. Do more good things than bad things. But fundamentally, our sin still defines us. It defines our present, and, and this is where it gets frightening, it defines our future. It defines our eternity. Because if we are still in our sins, it means we are still under the wrath of God. We are still under condemnation from God. There is no escaping that. And that is a terrifying prospect. Now let's go to the fifth reason. The fifth reason. So this is in verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Fallen asleep is a euphemism for, for dying. Those who are dead and who were following Christ, who are Christians. 
They're lost. Now, now that might be okay. Now, that's not saying, like, you can't find their tomb, okay, or we can't find the body. No, no, no. Lost, in biblical terms, means they are spending an eternity without God. They too, those who have died, are also under the wrath of God. They are under the punishment of God. And there's no escaping that, which means hope is lost. Healing is lost. An eternity in God's presence in heaven, lost. Not just for those who are alive, but for those who are all those Christians who had already died at this point. So that is some heavy stuff. That is heavy. So without Jesus' resurrection, his death on the cross, and then his resurrection, if that did not happen, Christians are useless, hopeless liars condemned for their sin. But with it, but with the resurrection, Christians are saved, forgiven, cleansed, hope-filled, healed. All of that comes out of the resurrection. All of that comes because Jesus Christ did not stay dead. So what do you believe about the resurrection? Paul lays it out and says it all depends on the resurrection. Everything in faith, everything in Christianity hinges on the resurrection. It's that one Jenga piece left on the bottom that if you know you pull that, the whole thing's coming down. That, that one little Jenga piece, that's the resurrection. If it's true, it changes everything. If it's false, we're all left to our own devices to do the best we can here on earth. So what do you believe about the resurrection? Some will argue that, that when the Bible talks about the resurrection, that it's a mythological, it's a symbolic, it's an allegory. Maybe you're not quite convinced that a person could come back to life. And so then it's, it's an allegory for the new life that God gives people when they follow him. Okay, okay, that's decent. It's wrong because, again, Jesus didn't say, I will die and allegorically raise from the dead to give you a symbol of new life. Jesus himself said that he would be raised on the third day, and that's exactly what happened. And the truth is, there's no good argument that could counter the historical validity of the resurrection and the theological significance of the resurrection. It all comes down to the question, what do you believe about the resurrection? So I want to talk to two groups here. So first, first is for those who would identify yourself as, as not being a Christian. You're like, you know what, maybe, I, maybe you enjoy church, you listen to some stuff, you've, you've read the Bible a little bit, but you wouldn't identify yourself as a Christian. Okay? Um, I, first, I want to say, 
I love that you're here at River Life today. And I hope this is a good, enjoyable, safe place for you to explore what this thing called Christianity is all about. Now, second, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you with a quote from a movie that's out right now. It's called The Case for Christ. Uh, this, is, this is an autobiographical movie based off of a book that was written by a, a journalist, Lee Strobel, and, and he was an atheist turned Christian. He went out to, to investigate the claims of Christ as a journalist, and at the end of it, he said, this must be true. So I, I want to share with you a quote from, from the book, Case of Christ. This is from Lee Strobel. I didn't become a Christian because God promised I would have an even happier life than I had as an atheist. Indeed, following him would inevitably bring divine demotions in the eyes of the world. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. That meant following him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. Here was a man who set out to disprove Jesus. And by the end of it, he acknowledged that Jesus proved himself. And particularly the resurrection. That that is what screams without doubt of Jesus' divinity. So what do you believe about the resurrection? What do you believe? If God did raise Jesus from the dead and you don't believe in him, you're turning your back on the Savior of the world. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, if he wasn't raised from the dead, we all can go about our lives without worry, for now at least. But if he did, it changes everything. Jesus did not give us the, the option of believing him as a good moral teacher because good moral teachers don't lie. You don't see Mahatma Gandhi lying about some stuff and telling the truth about others. You don't see the Dalai Lama giving great wisdom and then lying about other stuff. Great moral teachers don't do that. It doesn't make them great, and they're no longer moral. So Jesus did not give the option of dismissing him simply as a great moral teacher. And the resurrection is the thing that stares every one of us in the face. What do we do with this? So second, I want to talk to those of you who, who at some point in your life have made the decision to say, I follow Christ. I'm making him the leader of my life. He's the one who can save me from my sins. He's the one I turn to for hope, for healing, for forgiveness. So if you identify yourself as a Christian, Paul actually gives you some advice. Later in that chapter, all the way down at the end of the chapter, Paul gives some advice, some hope in believing 
in the resurrection. Because the truth is, we all sit here and listen to something like this, an Easter sermon, and ask ourselves, well, what difference does it make? So what? Paul knows that. So he is answering the so what to believing in the resurrection. And he gives two things at the end of this long 58-verse chapter. He says two things to Christ followers. So first, he says that death is no longer to be feared. Listen to this. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus conquered death. He removed the sting of death, whether it's your own death. And for some of you, I understand when you start to think about death, it's really scary. You don't need to be scared as a follower of Christ. And secondly is the death of others who are followers of Christ. We mourn their loss we are saddened by not being able to receive the love we used to receive from them. But you can have peace in knowing that they are with God because they are not still dead. When Jesus Christ resurrected, he removed death's sting. Now next, immediately after that, Paul gives the second hope. The second hope of believing in the resurrection is we can trust our lives to God. We can trust our lives to God. Listen to this. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So if you've ever felt weary, if you've ever felt worn out, you ever felt like it's kind of life feels useless and you're tired, God says, stand firm. Because of Jesus' resurrection, you can stand firm. If you find yourself getting blown by the winds of life back and forth, back and forth, some days you're doing great, other days you're miserable. Some days you love God, some days you could care less. Because of the resurrection, he says, stand firm in your faith. Stand firm. The God who raised Christ from the dead is living inside you. If you have made that decision to follow Christ, to give your life to him, not run it by your own rules, but Follow God's. Make Him your leader. Make Him the CEO of you incorporated. If you have made that decision, the power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. That's, that's the Holy Spirit. And the Bible gives us that promise that the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead is in you. So you can stand firm. Don't give up. God raised Jesus 
He will raise you. Join me in prayer. To the one great God in heaven, we pray. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who died for our sins. And we especially thank you that you raised him from the dead. You conquered death. And today we celebrate that. That we do not serve a dead prophet, but a risen Savior and Lord. So we thank you, God, we thank you that (laughs) your gift, you have given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that is the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in us. God, I am humbled, I am blown away that you would do that for us. Lord, so I pray for all of us. Lord, first I pray for those who do not have a relationship with you. Lord, for those who have not made a decision to say yes to the risen Jesus. God, that today is the day you grab a hold of their hearts and you don't let go. And you pull them toward you with your irresistible love and your irresistible grace. Lord, I pray for those who have made this decision to follow a risen Savior. Help us all stand firm because Christ has risen. Help us all stand firm in the power and the spirit that you have given us. So we thank you that you give what we don't deserve and that you love us, not for anything that we do, but exactly for who we are, your creation. In Jesus, the name of the risen Savior, I pray. Amen.